1: Welcome to another episode of Run Vass Option. My name is Chris Vassar, a.k.a. Coach Vass. Thank you so much for joining us today. Dub Mannix, guru of all things offense, will be on the podcast talking about his new book, Capology. As usual, if you ever listen to Dub, the conversation is stimulating, informative, entertaining, and you always walk away. Thinking about whatever you were talking about for a couple days after, he stirs some sort of intellectual curiosity in most of the people that he talks to, he makes you look at things differently, and he's really one of the true originals in this game, and I'm lucky to be his friend. Alright, you know what time it is. Housekeeping? do no, you sleeping. Housekeeping? Follow me on Twitter at CoachFast, the show's account at RunVastOption. You want to enjoy some defensive goodness, follow at MDGA Podcast. CoachFast.com is the website. Patreon.com slash CoachFast. Major News. June is the month of Sabin. And the video library is going to have the Alabama defensive video playbook. I don't even know how many clips. It's 25 hours. It's fantastic. Broken up by every concept. Teach tape, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Follow the timeline. You'll see the inventory there. Check that out, patreon.com slash coachvass. Also, CoachTube courses are still on sale if you want to learn to defend the wing tee. Defending RPOs out of one, two, three high, out of three or four down. Developing a third down coverage package. Developing a third down pressure package. Check it out. Check out my link tree. Linktree.com slash coachvass has the links for everything, including the CoachTube Offensive Course of the Week. Stay tuned for that. All right, let's talk to Coach Mannix. Let's get into it, man. My guest today is Dub Mannix, assistant head coach, offensive coordinator, and quarterbacks coach at Union High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Dub, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Vass. It pumped up to to be on here with you, man. Honored you have me on.
1: Well, I feel like this is long overdue. I always tell the story when everybody is like, do you, do you know Dub Maddox? I'm like, yeah, I know Dub Maddox. I believe the year, it was the end of 2007. Yeah, We were at Darren's place in yeah. Orlando. I was home for Christmas and I had heard about you guys and saw the stuff and was really fascinated. And I just, mentioned to my dad casually. I was like he said, "What, you know, what are your plans for Christmas break?" And I said, "Well, I'm going to go work and, and learn from these guys coaching quarterbacks." Um, uh, you know, unlike my reputation is widely known, I actually was I coached quarterbacks my first year in coaching and was going to be the offensive coordinator uh my second year in coaching and i was working with you and darren but i I told my dad i said oh yeah i'm going to see this guy you know darren slack and he's like you know that name sounds familiar and i said i was the ucf quarterback and uh apparently darren's father and my grandfather worked together with the citrus bowl
0: that's hilarious his dad was a big wig there yeah
1: my grandfather was like the chairman of the game actually i think he was part of the committee that saved it because it was the tangerine bowl right and then they put together a proposal. That's when conference tie-ins were kind of just starting out with some of the lower level bowls. And they made it the Citrus Bowl and then it's, you know, in existence. Now both games are actually in existence. Um, but so I'm working the camp. I actually get a call. We're on the way to the field, and I get the call from Rich Hammond, who at the time was at Gower High School, it's like, hey, do you want to be at the DC? I was like, Yeah. But I still, you know, I still finished the camp out and was learned a lot. But I remember we came back to the facility the first or second night. And you said, hey, I'm working on this thing. We're going to call it R4. And you knew I had a lot of, like, playbook resources. I don't know if you remember this. And you were like. Oh, yeah.
0: No, I remember it. I was like, who's this Who's this guy asking all these funky questions? That little did I know you're a defensive spy. Well, at the time, when I walked in the
1: door, I wasn't. When I walked out, I definitely was. But, uh, <laughs> um, but. So you said, Hey, take this. He kind of taught it to me on the board and it was in its infancy. I mean, I don't think yeah. you, you hadn't even released anything. And you said like, compare it to the playbooks you have, like, like see if this fits. And I remember we had some discussions about it and whatnot, but, um, then all of a sudden, you know, it, it took over football. I remember I went, so, uh, Darren and you were working together and you guys were trying to get a place in California. And so that I, was,
0: that's top three hottest camp I've ever worked Gilroy, California, the garlic capital of the world. It reeked of garlic. Yep. And, and it was, was 128 degrees. It felt like it was July I 4th weekend.
1: That. Yeah. Well, we actually, and I felt bad. We weren't in town because uh, after we had, i kind of got you the spot. Our, our team had won a tournament with the Niners. So the, the team was actually, I think in new Orleans at some uh, NFL tournament, seven on seven tournament. And I was back in Florida and, but uh, it was taken care of for East, But so I, I take pride and I was the first, we were the first hope uh, hosts of dub Maddox and Darren Slack related uh, quarterback camp. So um, yeah, I, I take, cool. I take pride in that. No, I, and from an early, early on, I, anybody that would listen, I was like, you guys got to see this stuff. It was so different because, you know, I remember the first impression I had of you and Darren was like, actually you can change your throwing motion. And I was like, thank you. Like, Everybody, because, you know, especially I was coaching in the land of Bill Walsh. So quarterback play was all feet, no arm. You know, everything was footwork. And I'm like, yeah, that's important. But you throw the ball with your arm, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that resonated with me. And then you guys had all these, you had this. I, I don't know if you ever did anything with it, but you were developing this exercise routine for quarterbacks with hangers.
0: Yeah. You did know, you- we've we've done some pretty exotic things. It's amazing to see how far along the mechanics have come, you know, with, with, you know, the technology and all the the digital stuff that's available now. Um, it's just, it's, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of coaches out there that are doing stuff really the right way and, and kids are getting better. It's, you know, and, and so it's, it's been see to see the need to see the growth of that over the years.
1: Well, and the other thing I loved about you guys was I remember. So Darren, so I had talked to Darren first and then I met you and then we started talking, but. You know, when I was talking to Darren, he had shared with me the, I think it was the C4 that was the self-correct. Mm-hmm. Self-correct, don't self-destruct. I remember that. Uh, and, you know, I remember he gave me the videos. And then he gave me some training materials. Because I think you guys at the time only had like three or four certified guys. It was you, Darren, Will. And I want to say, I don't know who it was. It might have been Raw. I don't know. But it was somebody. Yeah. There was like four people. And, and Will was living in Tampa and driving back and forth, Yeah, but he gave me some MP4 files uh, on the training and I remember watching it and I'm like, wait, he, that's not what he said in the video. And so I remember talking to you guys when I got into town, I was like, Hey, I just want to clarify, he's had a bunch of notes. And what I loved about you guys was that you didn't stick to something because you just put it on tape. You realized no. there were better ways to do things. And I know that we've talked in briefly about quarterback play and, you know, obviously with mechanics you know, over, I mean, this was 14 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. you changed a changed to quite a bit of it and you weren't dogmatic and you weren't like, you were always pressing for the best, no matter who came up with it or what, you know, what the, the evolution was, you didn't care. It was like, you were all about the outcome in terms of like, I don't care that we put this on a video. I don't care that we said this last year at camp, we found a better way. We built a better mousetrap. And, and, and we're going to do that. And I, I really respect that because a lot of people in this world, you know, they, they come up with something and they realize there's something better, but they don't want to contradict themselves. They don't want to seem like, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. And it's like, it's now it's in this day and age, it's bad to say, Hey, I was wrong and, or not, it's not even right or wrong. I don't want to put a value judgment on it, but that it was you would come up with something better. And I, you guys were just so humble in that way. And that always resonated with me. It's been fun to watch your career. Um, You know, when I think I, did I pick you up from the airport? And this when you went to the Sacramento clinic, I feel like I picked you up yeah, from the airport. I think you did. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I
0: yeah. That was a good clinic out there in Sacramento. It was a glacier clinic out there. I do remember that.
1: Yeah. And we, we lost touch for a little bit just because of, you know, the world and I wasn't on doing social media for football at all. Like I was out of that world. Yeah. And then I resurfaced and I saw how, you know, and, and also keeping my ear to the ground in terms of football stuff, I had kept hearing your name and saw you speaking at clinics and just so very cool to see, you know, how omnipresent your name is in the game. And, and you're one of the, you're one of the good guys and smart as hell. One of the smartest people I've ever talked to. So I'm really looking forward to today. I want to talk to you about this. So, you, so in the interest of full disclosure to the audience, I knew you were working on a book. And I said, well, actually, I hit you up and I said early on, I said, hey, I'm starting this offensive podcast. I want you to come on. I want, when you're doing, when you come up with something or come out with something, call me. Because I want to help. I want to help spread the word because I've always just been such a big fan. And so you just wrote a book called Capology. And, you know, it's funny because you were the first person that I heard to use the word cap. Something's capped in football terms. And, you know, now it's, again, going back to the comment about being omnipresent, you hear that all the time. So you're writing a book, capology, you know, we talked in the pre-interview a little bit about it, but what, to the listeners, what is capology? What, what does that mean? Where does it come from? All that great stuff.
0: Yeah. It, well, it's the, it's the study of, of space, time and talent. And it's a language and, and a visual lens to communicate the, the reality of that. I think the biggest issue that I had early on as a quarterback coach um, was being able to get my quarterback to perceive space as I saw it, um, you know, from my lens. And it's important that you get everybody on your staff and on your team, obviously, to see things through the same lens. And in the absence of frames of reference, you have to have verbal and visual frames of reference that are that are constant in your environment. And this is not just in the football world. This is in any domain, whether it's business, whether it's the military it doesn't matter if you're operating with a different language, with you're operating from different frames of reference, you're, you're not going to be aligned and you're not going to be able to see space the same. And it's very critical when you're talking about post snap sub second environments. And that's really what we're living in as players and coaches. It's, it's pressure packed, you know, sub second environments where rapid decisions need to be made. So we have to have, you know, a clear frames of reference. So how do you impact that? Well, you have to understand the limits in football, you know, so what are the limits? Well, there's a limit of space and that's what we're trying to own from an offensive perspective, from a defensive perspective, from your side, you're, you're trying to cap space or to take away space. I'm trying to create it and own it. And that's really where the game's played. You know, whoever does that, the best essentially wins the game. So how do we communicate the the movement patterns and, and how that strategy takes place well we need a language and we need frames of reference to communicate that so so space is is a limit and, and there's only so much of it right well the other limit is time right there's only so much time so as you draw up plays or draw up strategies you have to operate within the constraints of time that are given and that those time limits are dictated by maybe the blitz you're running or maybe the talent level of your defense you know i have to understand those you know, I, I, we cannot live in a whiteboard static world. And that was a big mistake I made early on as an offensive coordinators. I'm drawing up all these great plays and you get in the game and they don't turn out like you anticipated because you're not living in the reality. We, we got to have the ability to, um, to, to coach reality. And so I struggled with finding, um, the words and finding the frames to basically teach that to my players and also get aligned on that with our staff. I mean, I'm sure you've been on many staffs like I have, and you have many different coaches, many different perspectives with many different years of experience. And, um, you know, you ask a coach, well, what play do you like here? And he gives his opinion. Well, is that opinion based on, because, you know, this is the only thing he knows, or this is what he believes, you know, we we've got to give our opinion based on the reality of what we're seeing and what are we seeing? Well, it's the limits of space, time. And the third limit is talent. That that's the third limit. We have to have the ability to measure talent, okay. Just watching film and saying, okay, that guy's a five-star guy. He's good. Okay, great. What does that mean? Well, we 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 stay away from him altogether. You know, I mean, we we can't do that. We can't just allow the defense to eliminate an entire side of the field, right? There, there's a weakness for every strength. And when you have a language and you have um, the ability to unpack that and understand that, for every strength there is a weakness, and you know how to use those against a defensive opponent. Um, then you can make sure you're in the best strategy available. So essentially, um, that's what capology is, and, and the best way, the best metaphor I can give, kind of for the book is, is the introduction to the book. And um, this is a story I came across last year, and, and and the impetus for this book was was made possible through COVID. And when COVID hit, you know, like everybody else, it's like the world kind of stopped. So I'm asking myself, what am I going to do? well, you know, I have all this free time and I have all these resources, these books and materials I've been wanting to dive in. I wanted to really dig deep into um, the cognitive ability to make rapid decisions under pressure, to really study vision strategies. And, and somehow I got into linguistics. And this story is what kind of sent me on a path to study how powerful language is. And in 2004, there was a tsunami that hit Indonesia. It's called the Boxing Day Tsunami. You can look it up. You know, that day there was... Hundreds of thousands of people on beaches, on resorts. Imagine yourself on a resort, sitting there sipping your cocktail. All of a sudden, this wave kind of appears off in the distance. You kind of get your phone out. Hey, this is pretty cool. Big wave coming. I want to take a picture. As it gets closer and closer, you're kind of, you know, kind of frozen. You're like, okay, well, this isn't really uh, probably a safe situation, but this is is so fascinating. I kind of want to watch it come in. And then by the time you decide it's probably not safe, the wave smashes you and you're dead. I mean, that's what happened to 250,000 people, almost instant deaths that day. And there was a small tribe called the Moken that were in the epicenter of of this tsunami. They, there was a small, tiny island that was right in the path of this oncoming tsunami. And no one in this tribe died. They all survived. Every every person, in this tribe survived. And the reason why they know about this is because that day they actually had a reporter that was visiting the island and she was there to take. Um, pictures and document in life because it's a native tribe. They have their own language, their own way of life. They don't associate with any other cultures. And so she was able to document this whole uh, thing that took place. And so hundreds of thousands of people that died, you know, this small village of, you know, a couple hundred people, no one died. Why? Well, as they unpack and know why and study the, the culture, they had a language that was able to identify the little hidden movements and the patterns in nature that tell a civilization or tell that community that a tsunami is oncoming. They know they're experts in tsunami detection. All right. They know the little things to look for and they have a language that codes those and those, those little nuances are coded in stories and passed down through generations because it may be 10 or 20 years before a generation sees another tsunami in that area. And so they essentially have programs, a system of ultimate tsunami detection that bypasses the most powerful technology and satellite technology in the world that couldn't notify 250,000 people that day. All right. So what's the, what's the, what's the metaphor here? What's the takeaway for us as football coaches? Okay. Well, the Moken were experts right in tsunami detection as a football coach. I want to be an expert right in post snap movement detection of where, of how to create space, how to own space. So in order to do that, I have to understand the little nuances to look for, right. That, create space, that tell me how space is taken away, um, that can perceive time right, and how much time I have, and that can measure talent um, to know how to place my players in the best position to create this space. And so there has to be a language that codes all this. And so that's really what capology is. It's a language, a native language like the Moken had, that can detect all these little patterns that experts like yourself, Bass, um, probably no. So from a defense perspective, you probably know these little nuances to look for, but you probably don't have a tight language in a system that can easily teach it to a novice. And that's what capology does. It's it's kind of like a, a, a distillery that can um, basically get away of all the um, you know impurities of the game, the noise. So it distills all the noise out of the game and teaches your players and coaches what matters most and what to focus on. And that's what allows you to make rapid decisions under pressure. And so that's really what capology is. It's the programming language for the R4 system, which um, um, that's really kind of what the book focuses on.
1: So how does this capology fit into the R4? Is it something that is an addendum? Is it something that you kind of weave into? Has Has it changed the R4 system? I mean, for coaches who are running R4, is this book something that they can read and apply to r4 or does it change it fundamentally where it's almost like you got to redo it if that makes sense
0: no it's always been there it's always been the programming language so for example r4 stands for rhythm read rush release and r4 system was when it first was created it was it was strictly just a operating system for quarterbacks to process you know route space and post-nap movement and how to tie um, route timing in with your footwork and uh, the visual cues that you need to focus on to confirm if space is going to be open or not. It's all about the anticipation of open space. You know, for example, if you ask any coach or any player what open is, you know, or what does it look like? They're probably not going to have a definitive answer. And that's kind of what happens in some of these native tribes. For example, there's there's a native tribe that we talk about in the book that, um, they have an entire language that codes specific smells, like to the detail that tell them something important. Okay, so for example, they did a study. They they brought in these Americans, these Norwegians, and this native tribe. They gave them some smells of these different fragrances, and they were like really abstract smells. All right, and so they had this American person to try to describe the smell, and he would say, "Well, smells like a, you know, banana. Smells like a wet dog. I mean, they're really abstract. It's kind of like." When you ask someone to explain what open looks like, that's kind of what you're going to get, right? You're going to get an abstract kind of answer. Well, this native tribe, they they have words that give specific um, um, coding to these smells, and what that does for them, there's certain smells that will attract tigers into the village, and there's certain smells that don't, right? And so the words that they use instantly remind, tell them, is this a safe smell or is this a dangerous smell to me? You know, and so, for example, do you bring that into the coaching world? You know, I need to know what open looks like and what, right, what what covered looks like, right? Capped and uncapped—that's our words. So the language that we use with our four codes movements of defenders, okay, dominant positions, hip angles, and then their closure ability to finally confirm what the anticipation of open looks like. See, so it's easy to pause the film at any point in a play and say, okay, well, now that's open, and we get that. But we have to be able to anticipate open before it happens. And that what, that's what Capology does. It really um, helps you learn how to watch film better. It learns how to tell your quarterback and correct him faster. And so Capology has always been a part of the R4 system. It's just I've never had time to really dive in and um, spend a lot of time teaching coaches how to teach it to others is really what it, what, it, what the book's about.
1: It's really fascinating and especially when you're talking about those language you talked to me in the pre interview about the military and how they use this something that maybe is a little close to home um, in terms of you know you, you said I believe the American military uses this
0: yeah so they they have their own um, language it's called uh, it's a and it's specific it's um it's brevity codes right so in, any type of military um, unit is going to have their own brevity code system and, and brevity um, code is is a specific language that's really one or two syllables. It's a word that says a lot with a little. So you're essentially unpacking a paragraph of information with a lot of context into one brief word. Because if you're a fighter pilot up in the air, you operate in a sub-second environment. So you have to be able to say you know altitude, speed, you know, fuel um, in, in really brief interactions um, with other pilots in the ground. So in the same way as coaches, if you've been, you know, as if you're all these coaches that are listening, you're in games that it's heated, you've got to communicate a lot of context to your other coaches and players, whether you're in the booth on the, on the sideline. And if you've ever experienced, um, what, what the things that I've experienced it, it, and I'm sure this happens at all levels. Well, I know it does cause I have friends I've listened, um, uh, they don't operate like the military does. I feel like if the military stepped into a lot of our film rooms and listened to how we coach and communicate with our players, specifically on the sidelines and during games, they would punch us in the face because we, we're, we are not operating how the mind is wired under pressure. You know, We're not communicating, and we're not putting our players in a position to win. And so um, that's why I think it's important to really examine the coaching language you use, and capology gives you that. Um, And so that's what brevity is. You know, um, a special forces team that's going to take over a plane that's got hostages in there. When they enter and breach that door, they have no idea what's going to happen on the other side as soon as they enter. So they have to have they it has to be fluid. They have to have a language that can read the reality of what they are seeing and communicate it and work collectively as a unit. And any kind of passing game has to have that in the passing game. It's very hard. Um, to have a, a solid passing game if you're on different rhythms, if you're operating from different perspectives um, through different lenses. And so the military, they have code words, for example, you know, eagle is like a code word for whoever's in the lead um, as they go down and sweep the plane. Blue means that a hostage, um, it, it doesn't have, or a, um, a, a, a terrorist doesn't have a hostage by them. Green might mean that um, the terrorist, it, it doesn't have a hostage by him. So they, you know, Eagle green means, okay, um, I'm in the lead um, hostage with note with, with, um, with the terrorist, you know, mm-hmm. so there's different words they use that can, they can just be like water. They move through the plane, they extract the target. And it's fascinating to watch if you ever got to witness something like that. And that's what I think the best um, teams are able to do is able to quickly communicate what happened on the previous play. How do we fix it? Right. And then where do we go next? Um, Whether it's from a play caller's lens or even a quarterback's lens as he's scanning the field. Um, And so really it works in both of those realms.
1: What was the point at which this book was created in the sense that. Was there a situation in a game or a situation at a practice or. Was there an event that happened that you were kind of like, I need to be able to do X, Y, Z.
0: Yeah. Um, well it, yes, yeah, so it was my first year as an offensive coordinator. Um, we had a really good team coming back Went undefeated through the regular season, we're averaging 54 points a game. I'm thinking, man, this is pretty easy, right? Um, just, you know, point to play, play on your play sheet, call it up and, you know, bang a first down and enroll. And, and we were in the, the state finals. Uh, we were up 21, 7 half, and a half. And I'm thinking, man, First-year offensive coordinator, undefeated season, state championship. We're we're sizing them up at halftime. We come out, uh, have a turnover. Um, The opposing offense makes some big plays. Next thing I know, it's fourth quarter, minute 30 left, and we get the ball. We have to go down the field to score to win or kick a field goal to tie it. And I look to my right and left, and I'm like, uh, what do you guys like here? And it's dead silence. I call up in the booth, hey, what, what are you thinking here? It's crickets chirping. I got eleven players staring at me on the sideline, waiting for me to call the play, and the pressure got me. Um, I didn't have the ability. I needed help in that moment, and I, and I think you know a lot of coaches are, are are afraid to say that, but but I need help. I, I need more sets of eyes that can um, read the reality of what we're seeing. I can't see everything on the field, right? So I needed a common language and frames of reference where we could communicate quickly in that moment under pressure um, to dial up a plan to get us, you know, in field goal range, at least, or at least score. And I didn't have those tools. I didn't have a language. I didn't have a lens of leverage. I didn't have the confidence in that play. So, I, you know, I, I call, you know, two or three plays and we end up um, sputtering out and we lose that game. And, and I didn't sleep that night and that loss still stays with me to this day. Um, it was hard looking at the seniors in the eye after that game. And, and I, I let them down and I lost us that game. Uh, I really feel that way. And so, that was the genesis of, of taking R4 from a quarterback kind of system to a coaching system. And what a quarterback does on a pass play, right, an offensive coordinator does every play. So like, like, if you think of a pass play, the quarterback drops back. and He has to make rapid decisions based on the post-snap reality of the movement of the defense. He has to find the open space quickly, and he has to anticipate it. Well, that's what a coordinator is doing you know, every play. He's processing the play in real time. Um, he has to quickly diet, you know, diagnose the breakdown of the play. Why did it break down? How do we fix it? Or what, what movements happened here? We have to anticipate the next call and we're doing that on every play. The quarterback's just doing it on pass plays. And so the, the system that we built for the, the passing system for the quarterback was already kind of the uh, front door entry point into creating the coaching system. And once we were able to kind of take those like templates and take that foundation and build it into an entire offensive system, um, for run game, game planning, play calling, um, it—that's when it really took off, and that's what's really helped me. I'm a much better coach today, not because it's all about me; it's because all of our coaches, I feel, are on—we're all on the same level. I feel like we're all experts, and we're looking at the game through the same lens. And I think if you go in and examine a lot of staffs, there's a lot of fractures in most offensive staffs because everybody's, you know, um, looking through different lenses. Um, they have different perceptions of a reality, Um, some of it could be because ego, some of it because they just don't know what to look for, and I think your most important job as a coordinator is to go through and tear those walls down and unify your staff and get everyone to buy in um, to operating with the same language, with the same frames of reference, and and once you can speak that, it's amazing what can happen.
1: So I asked you to give me basically Mm -hmm. an example where something went wrong, And what led you to this? You're a thoughtful guy and and you've created a lot of stuff, just trying to push the game better. But something like this usually comes from something like I was in this situation. I needed something. I mean, that's, we talked to a lot of coaches. Everybody asked me, why'd you go the TCU route? You know, whatever. Well, I got into a game. I was running a system and I couldn't kind of what you're talking about, but in a different lens in the sense that I couldn't, I wanted to do something and I couldn't do it. And I've always said. You know, if. If your system doesn't allow you to do something that you want to do and you need to do, your system sucks. Like that's, you know, last pod we had uh, Stephen Lowe on and we talked about the air raid. And, you know, they played everybody left and right. And I'm I'm like, hey, man, like you, you should put your best guy on the backside of trips every play. And so. He looked at me and he goes, yeah, but that's not our system. That's not the system. And i was like, well, if, if if you can't get your best player matched up in one-on-one, then your system sucks. And it was just something that I I kind of remember saying, but to, it's all really. <laughs> and that's something that stuck with him, and it, and it caused the change. So there's always these kind of points that we develop, we evolve. And so give me an example of a situation where something like this helped you, that you, you made the switch you know, you were in this position where you didn't feel like you could communicate, but you, you know, you started doing this stuff and then, and then maybe share with the listeners a time where it helped you transcend something that you may not have been able to overcome if you didn't have this language or this, because to me, it's more than just a language. It's a thought process as well. But, but what, what is a time that this having this was the difference between a win and a loss, but on the good side,
0: yeah, so um I think you get I, there's a lot. I think the thing about the system was what what it really helped me do was it it helped me and, and it helped our coaches have a process to teach all our position groups how to see and, and and understand the game like a coach. And I think that's that's really the the goal of of, of coaching is to get your players to see the game and understand it like you do. And, and I think there's, there's been several games where, um, you know, we've had, you know, plays called in big games where, you know, our players are coming to the sidelines, right. Or they're on the sideline or they're on the, on the, in the huddle, looking at us, yelling at us, what that next adjustment would be. It's like, I can't even get it out of my mouth. And they're calling mm-hmm. coach, you know, we got to run this route. We got to, and, and, and it's already set up because of the framework of the system and how we install it through a week of practice. It's, you know, R-4 is, is kind of based on um, if-then decision-making that um, fighter pilots use. Um, there's there's a process called the OODA loop um, that um, a guy by the Air Force pilot by the name of, uh, I think, I believe it's John Boyd, um, developed, and um, it's observe, oriented Side Act. It's if-then decision-making. And so the issue with football is there's there's only so many if-thens that you can process under pressure. It's really about three to four, all right? And so they're, they're you know, you have to be able to prioritize the three to four th- the three to four plays or the three to four adjustments that matter most within a scheme. You can't have answers for everything. You, it's it's impossible. And I think that's one of the the you talk about. Give me a situation where this helps you out. I think one of the situations that that it really helped me is was to eliminate all of the clutter and noise that I used to have on my play call sheet to to insulate me during the week to make me really feel safe about the game. It, it, it helped me to really dial in the answers and prioritize what matters most um, that's going to protect this base play and being able to teach that in a stepped uh, process to the players throughout the week where they can know before I can even get the play out of what the next best adjustment is going to be. And I think our best years are, are when we have our players and we empower them to think like a coach and give them the freedom to make those adjustments. And we can do that because we're operating from, again, the same frames of reference, the same lens, the same language. And so that's the beauty of the system. It's not an offense, right? It's an operating system. And I think that's the, it's a, you take the guts of this, you overlay it to any offense and it accelerates it faster. Um, that that's the, the, the system.
1: I think that's something that at first is, is a misconception. And I think that, and maybe, maybe I, Maybe I'm wrong here, but I think when when people see the R4, because there's so many packaged offenses, you know, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, the, the R4, the Dub Maddox offense. I'm like, no, that's, I know Dub, he runs some of those plays, but that's not his, that's not an offense. He just uses common plays as a way to teach the system as like an example. They're not... It's not like the dub off the dub offense flash super offense, you know what I mean, and yeah, of course you run some of those plays, maybe you run all of them, but it's a thought process, and I think there's a lack of that in football, you know, I've been asked, would you put together a defense like like you know a defensive system? I'm like we don't have like our system is our language, you know what I mean? It's how we talk and you know, you know people think, and, and I know it, I bring these guys up a lot, but I, it, it's appropriate here with the TCU of defense, as I, with the, people call it the West Coast defense because of how they spell everything out. You know, it, the reason that they've been successful for so long is not because they ran quarters or because they're a four two five 5 team. None of that shit matters. It's the way that the communication process and you can yeah, have a a, 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 great system, but if you can't communicate it fast and under pressure, it's, it's, it's useless.
0: Yeah. I think that's the beauty of coaching in high school is it kind of forces you, um, you have to adapt to your personnel and it changes every year. Right. And, and so I, I feel like it's a perfect breeding ground to really accelerate your football coaching ability faster cause you can't recruit, um, to what you want to run. You know, we, 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 I can't, I can't recruit for, you know, four, three dudes or four, four dudes to run, you know, air raid, um, every year, you know, if we have them great, we'll run some of that stuff, but, um, you know, the ability to take what you have, know how to package it together, know how to fix problems, know how to teach it, you know, in its entirety to, to a, a bunch of 16, 17 year olds and get them to perform it under pressure is is just i love the challenge of that and and the system makes it a lot easier because i don't have to do it alone and this is not like the dub offense or the dub system it's i really wanted something that can empower coaches and players um where we could all be on the same level and work together um as a team and because that's what the game's about and that's that's been the funnest years i've had coaching is is being able to do that
1: it's so important i mean I'm just, as you're telling these stories and explaining this stuff, I'm thinking back to my own time and when I could have used this sort of thinking and, you know, I'm a pretty verbose, you know, person. I don't know if you would describe a person as verbose, but my coaching style I used to talk a lot. And I remember when I went to Millsaps to work, um, what they did was is they threw us out on the field and they made us teach the other coaches our drills, which sucked and it was nerve wracking. And if I didn't say things in the exact right manner, he, you know, he'd be like cover two, which was our robber coverage. What's the corner do? I'm like, well, he's one by seven inside and he's, he's got one if he's vertical, but if he goes, he goes man to man, vertical or vertical one. And now I don't even remember it, but it was like man to man, vertical one man clue. Whatever, like they wanted to set exactly the same way. And what they did was the coordinator would. We, I would put him through drills and they had to do the drills. And I remember the guy was backpedaling and they would mess up on purpose. So you had to correct them. And his feet were getting too far outside the frameworkers body. he's like coach me up coach me up coach me up as he's moving and i'm like freaked out like don't even know what's happening i've been there for like three days just like culture and the speed of everything just hitting me in the face and i'm like your feet are too far and when your feet get too wide you know and i'm giving this long explanation he goes ride the bike ride the bike i I, I don't understand what you mean he goes tell him to ride the bike they can visualize that it It's every coaching point that you need to, to pedal and keep your, your, your feet underneath you and everything. And it paints a picture. And I've never forgotten that. And, and it's one of those things that I always have to fight against uh, in terms of speaking too long when coaching like I'm doing right now, trying to find the words that I want to say. And so I think it's important. And I think what you're doing is transcends, you know, just basic plays and offense. And I think, you know, if you can get the coordinator and the kids on the same page, cause what's that old coaching cliche? It's not what you know, it's what they know. Well, okay. you're empowering them to know more and, and know quicker and, and communicate clearly and under pressure, which is a huge thing. You know, everybody's everybody's great. And on the same page in April, you know, in the summer and, or in the summer when you're, you know, there's nothing on the line, the scoreboard's not on. And you do this in in October, November, and so I love it. What are some other examples of how you would use this this capology and in, and in, in how it can help coaches?
0: Yeah, I think probably one of the biggest ones is in film breakdown, and so it it allows you to read the reality of the coverage. So you know, from a defensive guy, um, you know, run whatever coverage. You know, let's say you're running stubby or stump or whatever. Whatever vernacular you want to call it, right? And and two two teams can run the same coverage. They could coach it the exact same way, but it's not going. The reality of that coverage is not going to play out exactly the same way because of different players, right? Even if the players that were the same physical abilities, mentally they're not the same. So they're going to react differently. And what the capology does is it is it gives you a process to grade the post snap movement within a coverage. And so really, I don't really. We talk about coverage with our to our players and, and we we talk about coverage weakness. Um, and we'll do that early in the year. But after that, coverage is just a placeholder because um, as you know, things change, right? I mean, you cover three. Well, is it country cover three? Are they playing with divider technique? Are they playing Rip Liz? Coach. Right? Still- I mean,
1: it's high school football. They may not look the same from one snap to the other. Forget team to team. I mean,
0: I've seen, I've,
1: I've run coverages. I've called coverages on back-to-back plays versus the same exact, like they called the same play. I called the same play and it looked totally different. It's high school. It's crazy. Shit happens.
0: Yeah. So how do, how do we, how do we build for like forensic profiles of defenders and, and be able to, you know, break them down from a DNA level within a coverage. And that's what capology does. So for example, we'll, We'll, we'll break down it. And so we have a set of grading rules for man and zone coverage. And these rules are very simple. We explain them in the book and it, it's so simple. You could, you could teach a booster club parent on your team. Um, these rules <clears throat> show them how to watch the film. <clears throat> and then in 30 minutes, they could have, you know, the corners broken down for you. Um, it, it can, if, if you in fact want to do that, I'm just, I'm just letting you know that how you don't have to be a football expert to do this. And that's the beauty of the, of the system and the layout. And so we grade man coverage first because if you can't beat man, it's a long night. I mean, you know, so – um and and so i'm not talking about pure i mean it could be a pure man defense but you know it could be a split field coverage where they are playing man to the side cover 40 like tcu style or it could be you know just playing man on the backside single receiver but anytime we have a coverage that has a man scheme in it we're going to grade that defender in his and how he plays man because not all defenders will play man the same and we're going to grade it from a post-snap perspective so there's you know two or three data points that we'll take um, from the post-snap world, and we have uh, a, a, a language and, and a coding process and a grading sheet that we take you through in the book um, that will allow you to grade that defender's ability to play the curl route, to play the, the the go ball, whatever route that we're seeing on film. And so what it helps me do from a game planning perspective is when we draw up the play on the board that we think we like against an anticipated coverage, we can now look at those player grades and we can pretty much confirm if that that route is going to hold up within that play. Um, And it allows me to not have to wait until Friday night to play the game to see if it plays out. I I can, I, it increases my confidence level, or it helps me, you know, stay away from negative plays faster because we're not carrying those in. Um, So that's really one of the biggest, I think, benefits of the book is it teaches you how to watch film, how to grade the post-snap world of man and zone coverage, not the (laughs) pre-snap it's the post-snap and then allows you to play that game out or teaches you how to scout players. That makes sense. It's
1: brilliant. It's brilliant. I love the way, you know, you have a real gift for describing things. You said you you have a way to capture the imagination that I, I wish, I wish I had. You can say two words that it would take me 25 and I still haven't even touched what you can do in two. And, forensic profile of a defender that sounds first of all it sounds spooky um but also i I get exactly what you're saying and and it makes so much sense that you would gravitate towards something like this because you're so that's one thing you've always excelled at among many but the ability to cut through all the bullshit with just two words i know exactly what you're talking about
0: yeah yeah it's its ability to cut through all the noise. There's so I mean, like when I first started, you know, coaching and watching film. I don't know how it was for you, but I mean, I watched three four hours of film and I walk out of there and I've got notes down, but I'm like, what the what the freak did I just watch? I mean, like, what did I learn? Like, you, mean, what am you I didn't
1: watching? learn everything in padding twenty minutes of film. You didn't, you didn't get that. <laughs> no,
0: no, I didn't. I wasted. I feel like, I feel like I wish I had the reason why I created this system because it's something I wish I had when I first started coaching, and I don't know what your first coaching meetings were like, you were probably way farther ahead of the game than I was, but I never forget going to my first coaching meeting and they're, I mean, they're talking, you know, I mean, green dogs, shade five nines, you know, pirate stunts. I mean, all these things. And I'm like, what is this? I mean, it's like a, it's like Chinese to me. And they're seeing things on the film I'm talking about the coaches on our staff. I mean, you you had a great coaching staff and they're talking they're seeing, you know, we got to run this and we need to attack here. I'm like, how do you know this? And I'm just T, is there a way you can teach me? And so what I would have is I would have, you know, I'd kind of, I was embarrassed. I'd, you know, kind of ask the quarterback coach at the time, Hey, can you kind of take me through, you know, how you see this stuff? And what I found was, is that as smart as these coaches weren't as brilliant as they were, they're phenomenal. They didn't have the language in a system to distill it down to a novice like me. You know, they had no way to unpack those 25 years of experience to a rookie coach and it's something I needed. And so it wasn't until like three to four to five years later in my career that I realized, well, they were calling this a tight front, but it's also an under front. And I'm not talking about tight like it's known today, like the staff I was on. They would call a shade five nine a tight front. Right. And then this other coach called it the under front. And I'm like confused. It's the same thing. And I think there's a lot of that in, in coaching. Am I not right? You know, coaches will call, you know, the same front or coverage, uh, or the, you know, the same thing or two different things. And there's a lot of crossover with language and it is really confusing for rookie and young coaches. And I wanted a system and a process that could help accelerate my career five to 10 years. I really felt like I wasted my first five years of coaching, just trying to figure out like what all the terms mean.
1: Yeah. And I think for say something, maybe a little controversial or maybe nobody cares enough to, for it to be a controversy. But I think the coaching community is fantastic at teaching players in a way. I think we're really shitty at teaching other coaches. I talked to my friends in the NFL, and I think this is kind of at all levels of coaching, but I think it's exacerbated at the NFL level, which is there's no training program. Like if you're a scout, they expect you to be a scout and they'll tell you what they want, but they don't teach you how to scout. And it's like, well, so I'm supposed to learn through osmosis? Like, I'm just supposed to stick, you know, somebody next to somebody else and all their, like you said, 25 years of knowledge is going to just seep into my pores. And I, I I, don't think coaches are great at teaching other coaches. I think, you know, I think we, I th- and again, this may be total horseshit, but I think that we're so exhausted by figuring out a way to teach the kids or like here just take this playbook and figure this shit out on your own you know what i mean i mean i don't know i've seen a lot of that for sure and i'm guilty as charged you know a lot of times when i say stuff like this i'm really talking about myself <laughs> but um yeah i think that's i think it's true to a, to a large extent i mean i have seen amazing coaches who can coach it to kids but don't always and maybe it's just desire but it's not always great with other coaches. I don't know your thoughts on that or if I'm full of it or not.
0: I'm going to let you do all the controversial talk. I don't want to, I don't want to make anybody upset.
1: Oh, don't be soft. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I think that's one thing that as coaches, we can always be better at is teaching our peers. I know, from my experience, I would become exhausted because the defense that we ran—it's so intensive, and there's so many parts. And we had a lot of turnover because, well, we had probably a fair amount of tur- turnover at Sarah because we had a lot of we had a lot of off-campus guys, and so their job would change or they would change jobs, and they wouldn't be able to coach. It wasn't—we didn't have the consistency that a lot of programs did or got staff stick together for years. I mean, I had multiple, I was at Sarah for five years. I had three inside, four inside linebackers coaches in five five years, 3D line coaches, safety coaches always there. And of course, linebackers is the most because you got to do the stuff in front of you and behind you. And I was just getting by the fourth one. I was like, just, can you just figure it out, man? Like shit. And I, I would only take on, I would only take on one or two schools a year that wanted to learn this stuff because it was it's exhausting, and you have to teach to the kids, you know what I mean like or else they they don't play well and you lose and so I don't know if it's just like a, I'm tired of explaining the same thing over and over again issue or what, but that's something that I know that I think we can all be better at this week's Coach Fast Coach Tube Corner features the infamous Offensive line coach for The Ohio State University, Coach Stud, and his course on zone read and perimeter run game fundamentals and techniques presented at this year's Cool Clinic. He takes you through drill film and explanation as well as the techniques illustrated on game film. You want to create an elite offensive line like the Buckeyes, Coach Stud's instruction will help you towards that goal. The chapters include zone read and perimeter run game, fundamental development, run techniques offensive line skill sheet position game ready checklist some of the stats and some of the meeting rooms and how they do that pre-practice activation walkthrough, individual combos in the shoots half line inside team sift drill as well as assignments he also goes through all the zone combo blocks the stretch combination blocks plays Anything you need to know to run these two plays, technique-wise, whether it's playing your 2I, getting a step wider to meet the defender, he has it for you. Again, you got drill film, you got game film, you have some of the best instruction I've seen in the offensive line world. The course is almost an hour and a half, and it features one of the best coaches in college football at the premier offensive line clinic in the world. So check it out. To get the link to the course, go to linktree.com slash Vass. Again, that's linktree.com slash coachvas, and you will see the link there. Or if you're listening to this on Apple Pod, just go to the show description and the link will also be towards the bottom. You know CoachTube, they're the best at providing educational resources for coaches all across the world with top-notch courses from the best in the game. Check out all the things they have to offer. It's astounding how many topics they have covered. Just go to CoachTube.com, hover over football, and you will see a ton of stuff. The great thing about CoachTube is any coach can create a course. If you think you got something interesting, just go to CoachTube.com, click on the link at the top that says Become a Coach, and create your own course today. So I want to talk more about the book and what's in there without, uh, giving everything away and cutting into sure. your sales, you know, how take me through, I'm, I'm looking at the chapters here, the, you know, applying capology. You, you mentioned the maps, the control, the juggling and the throws. So you've got maps, interception, armor, control, increasing vision, juggling, scanning strategies and throws, breaking the rules let's start with the the maps, the interception armor
0: yeah so so that chapter is is basically the premise is based on um, survival bias, which a lot of, a lot of people you know know the story in the World War II planes that you know they were getting shot down um, by the 88s the, the the German weapons that were wreaking havoc um on the allies. And, and so they were trying to figure out ways to build better planes and keep them getting shot down. So they were studying essentially all the planes that made it back. They were studying, you know, the parts of the plane that had holes in them and how they could put armor around those parts. And one of the, the guys on the, the committee that was in charge of making these planes better was, you know, well, we're studying the wrong planes. We shouldn't be studying the planes that made it back. We need to be studying the planes that got shot down. Right, and and what they found is when they went and examined the planes that were shot down, is that most of the planes that were shot down were hit around the engine, and so that they deduced that the, the armor needs to be around the engine of the plane, not the wings that were had holes in them. You know, those those planes made it back, and so it was kind of a turning point in the war um, when they they were able to you know to arm the planes better, and so from the quarterback's perspective, the armor around the engine is, is the mind. And and so I think as coaches, we need to to give our quarterbacks more mental armor and and arm them with strategies and, and visual cues that help them see the patterns of cap space faster. Okay. So let's talk about the cap caps is a, is a brevity code acronym and it's what the defense wants to do. They want to cap space. Well, what makes a space capped okay let's talk about like for example a post route all right just because a middle of field safety is in the way of the post that's capped yes but that's just one layer there's essentially three layers to confirm if a route space is truly capped it's coverage so that's the dominant position defender so we have a language that can quickly describe a dominant position defender so if the safety is over and inside um, of the post route, he has essentially capped the post. But just because a defender's in the way does not necessarily mean it's capped. That's just the first generic layer, right? The A in cap is for the angle of the hips. Okay, the angle of the hips is a time language. It basically tells you the space that that defender can close on at that at a moment in time. So, like for example, if if that safety is hips are fully turned so full is a brevity code word that we use to describe hip angle position so you teach these quarterbacks these terms that describe hip angle and the hip angle tells you if the route is in fact truly capped or not so if that safety is over and inside capping the post and he has a full turned hip angle meaning his hips are turned towards the, the end zone he's in a he's in a now in a position to close on vertical space which essentially confirms the cap of that post. So so hip angle is, is a visual cue that we use a lot on the post-snap drop to kind of confirm if a route space is capped or uncapped. Obviously, player in the way, player not in the way, is like the, the most generic layer that we look at pre-snap. But as we go down the CAP acronym, we're getting more into the confirmation of CAP. And the P in CAP is our talent language. The P is, is the personnel accelerator. It's the talent level of that safety. And what we're measuring with personnel is we're measuring his – his closure ability, or the amount of cushion he has, or if he's using collision. That's really the three accelerator weapons that a defender can use post-snap. So he's either going to try to collision a receiver, and if he does, that route's dead, right? Um, Or he's going to try to maintain a level of cushion over it that we can't break. We can't break that cushion threshold. Or he's going to have enough closure speed to recover a bad position and finally capped the route. So we have a way to take a quarterback through and measure those three variables on film and on the field. And now when a quarterback looks at a space mm-hmm. and throws the, throws the post to triple coverage, and I say, why did you throw the post? He said it was covered. Mm-hmm. I say, no, that was capped. Well, before we would get into argument, because I had no language to code the dominant position, the hip angle, and that closure ability of that defender. His perception was right because he had the ball in his hand. Right. But now I have the language and a process to watch through the film on Saturday and now take him through on what capped and uncapped space truly looks like. So, what cap maps are, they're the common patterns that defenders have that caps a route. And so, what I did during the COVID um, lull is is I did about a four or five year study of all the interceptions in the NFL. So, I have a database of about I mean, it's like 2,500, 3,000 interceptions, okay? So I went through every interception in the league in the last five years, right? Through all those interceptions, so I tagged all the routes, okay? And so I broke them up into routes. So, for example, I've got every post route that was intercepted for the last five years. And what I was able to, to, to determine through the cap mapping process was there's really, there's about five patterns, common defensive patterns that will intercept the post, All right, so that's what we talk about in the book. So we take the 10 most common intercepted routes in football in the book in that chapter, and we break down the five most common patterns of defenders in relation to that route that intercept the ball. So the goal is, is now I can create mental armor for my quarterback so I can take him, hey, when you're throwing the post route, these are the four to five common patterns that cap the route and and what causes interceptions. So once you can teach the quarterback those dominant positions, the hip angles, um, he can now recognize those patterns faster. That's the same thing the military does when they enter into a room that has an assailant with a room full of hostages. They have you know, code words that, that recall the pattern, and, and those patterns mean things. And so that's essentially what it does. It was one of the best studies I've ever done, and I'm so excited to kind of use that this year. And, and I was amazed at how many quarterbacks in the NFL will, will throw interceptions on, on looks that should be blatantly capped. And, and so it was it was a cool study. And that's and we go deep into that in that chapter.
1: That is fascinating.
0: And I'm not going to tell you the secret because um, and you'll have to just read it, Bass. But I mean, I think there's some things that defensive coaches and I shouldn't say this could take away on certain leverage positions because that's what the cap is. It's a language of leverage. There there's certain leverage positions that cause quarterbacks a tremendous amount of processing ability it it looks uncapped but it's really not and the better i can teach my quarterback to process those patterns the less likely is to throw those those picks
1: so defensive guys that are spying you have your marching orders since we're using military (laughs) language here you are hereby commanded to buy the book which we will get to at the end on how to do all that stay tuned (laughs) So this, I'm so fascinated. I have so many questions. What was the route that you studied that was the most surprising that was picked off so many times that you saw that you were like,
0: really? Yeah, it was um, the two, the two routes, the overdrag and the dig route are the two most intercepted routes in football. Really? Like, like not even close. Like it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And there's certain patterns. um, Again, I don't know how much I want to disclose on here. No, it's okay. uh, Okay. That that are real easy to identify, and it's gonna be it's gonna really help my quarterback because it 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 showed up. It now as I replay previous years, I'm like, duh, you know. I mean, like now I have like a tool (laughs) to quickly show. Here's 25 over drag routes or dig routes that were picked. Do you see these common patterns? Okay, when you see this, we do not need to throw the dig route. We do not need to throw the drag route. Or here's where we need to kind of place the ball. Things like that. So again, it was a fascinating study, and and it was very eye opening to see know what those most common intercepted balls are
1: what was one that you were surprised it wasn't on the
0: list uh oh that's a good one um probably the go ball the fade yeah i thought that was
1: going to be the number one yeah. number two that's in high school i mean i think that in
0: the slant the slant route um what was it was had a low interception ratio on Do
1: you think it's just because those guys got so much arm that they can get it in there before the db can break
0: yeah, it's probably that. It's just a hard angle. If you run the slant right, and I'm not talking – like you got to take the angle really sharp, almost like a 90 against that. But, I mean, if you take the angle right, um, it's very hard to intercept. I will tell you, this is another defensive nugget. I don't know if I want to give this away. Do man.
1: it. Don't tease me, bro. Come on. That's bullshit. Okay. All
0: right. Just because you're the defensive guru, uh, I'm going to tell you this, man. I was amazed. And you maybe know this. This was just – you know, this is something I saw as – man. I'm amazed at the amount of interceptions that occur from tip balls at the line of scrimmage. It blows my mind. Like, I mean, I I don't think defensive line coaches work that enough. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed. Like there is, there is so many interceptions that occur every year. It's over and over in the league and it's because defensive linemen, if they can't get to the quarterback, you know, they kind of retrace and they'll jump up and try to time the, the jump with the with the quarterback throwing—it's amazing to me. Um I, I don't think defensive line coaches work on it enough.
1: What routes were, were went with that? I mean, I'm guessing stuff over the middle, but what were what it? Were it, the,
0: it, it doesn't matter, really. It, yeah, it doesn't matter. It, It's—I mean, obviously more quick game intermediate. I mean, obviously throwing deep posts, corners, you know, seams, thing like that. Obviously not, but you know, intermediate quick quick game throws, um, huge.
1: Now, did you find any overlap? I'm assuming that after you did the study, you went back and looked at all the interceptions, all four of them that your quarterbacks threw over the last five years. Did you did oh, you yeah, did yeah. you find any overlap in terms of like the same finding the same data or was yeah. it different?
0: No, it's it's the same. It it's I think that's the thing I'm most excited about is is the patterns were so blatant um once you know what to look for. And all I did was use just the cap grading process uh and the patterns were so, 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 so blatant. It was so glaring and and it translated to the college film. I looked at, obviously I didn't do as big of a breakdown in college because I don't want to get anyway. um.
1: (laughs) He doesn't want to get chased down by catapult. You bastards. He doesn't want to say the I'll say it. Dub's too nice. Yeah. If you're listening and I know you listen F you buddy. and
0: and, in the high school film that I had, obviously, yeah, the the patterns carried over um, pretty accurately. It was kind of cool to see.
1: That's wild. Well, plus, I mean, college, you'd be, I mean, how many interceptions were thrown in a year? I mean, you've got what five times more teams, four times more teams, Oh yeah. plus erratic quarterback play. They're throwing the ball more. The games are longer. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You get agita, but I actually, It, it would be cool though. Now that you've done this, maybe next off season, call folks up at p f f now that you have the data and you've kind of just to confirm it, not to sit there yeah. and break it down and be like okay we're gonna now that you have that data, you can just see if it oh is this is this matching yeah. up all right, last all right. question on the topic what is what is the most common mistake that you think you saw that coaches can take away
0: common mistake for or common what? common
1: what's the most common mistake that quarterbacks make that the one yeah. thing that they so, could do at the top of yeah. the list to negate yeah. one of these throws?
0: Yeah. So, so the most common mistake quarterbacks make and, and this happens at every level, even the highest level all the way down to high school and, and below is that quarterbacks they there's two types of focus. You have, you know, your soft focus, which is your peripheral focus, which most quarterbacks have no, idea that they have and they don't use it and it's one of their biggest weapons that's another part of the book on scan strategies and and vision Um, and then you have narrow focus which is your you know um, very fine-tuned focus and that's what most quarterbacks use and their narrow focus is on the receiver they track the receiver on a route and so they can't visually perceive what's ahead of it Right. And so you have to know how to place your business strategically. So one of the coaching phrases I always tell my quarterbacks is see the space, not the man, meaning your man that you're throwing to. We don't want to look at our receiver. We want to look at the route side space that he's breaking into. It's his job to get there. And if he's not there, we'll we'll find another guy. Right. But you have to keep your eyes ahead of the receiver and and learn to process the caps, the defenders. And so we really we're reading space and we're reading defenders within that workspace and once you can teach your quarterback how to get his eyes ahead like when you watch the NFL interceptions it's it's obviously I can't say 100% what they're looking at but there's a lot of times you can see that they're just laser focused on the receiver and their eyes on ahead on the overdrag on the dig and so they're missed the linebacker dropping in the window they miss that defensive end dropping you know they miss that safety robbing the dig if their eyes were ahead they would see it and they would get to the next best space
1: this reminds me of a story from soccer. Please don't hang up. But this, this is actually really fascinating. Arsene Wenger, the longtime Arsenal manager, had a player named Robert Pires, who, who was from France. And when they would play him on the right, on the wing, on the right wing, he was, he was good. But when they played him on the left, he was amazing. And he was right-footed. And at that time in soccer... You played your right wingers on the right who were right-footed, your left wingers on the left, left-footed, and it was very long ball, crossed the ball in. And Perez was very two-footed. Like, he, he could play with both feet. And he couldn't, nobody could figure out why when he played on the right, he was he was good, but when he was on the left, he was world-class. And so Wenger had the, the foresight, no pun intended, to test his vision. And it saw that perez had an exceptional peripheral vision and so if he played on the right it didn't looking to his right like out of his right eye so playing on the right it's the sideline you're not you can't and there's nothing to see right but if you played on the left he could see better to his right and he could open up the pitch and it created vision that literally vision to see space and, and and that sort of thing and so they put him on the left and then they subsequently they did eye tests on players down the road and i guess found similar traits. And i've i've known this story for a long time but i've always been like i wonder if you could test this in football. You know, especially at the NFL level where there's really no hashes, there are but there aren't. I mean, let's be honest. And you're playing more left and right. Like how do you decide where a guy plays? Well, he may feel more comfortable playing one side, but that doesn't mean he's better. I mean, i remember when i was with Keith Burns at San Jose State we had this player named David Bowen. He was from New Orleans, and he was a phenomenal athlete. But he, he, he was bad at um, catching the ball at the highest point. And so, you know, Burns had tried everything, you know, timing up jumps, just all this stuff. And, and he was really kind of confounded. And so one day before practice, they used to, play, he used to play soft toss with the players. So they'd line up across from each other. And he would, you know, he'd do a soft toss and then he would throw it up high and then throw a bullet as he'd come back through. And one day he threw a a high ball to David and David tried to go up and get it. And he he fumbled it, dropped it, whatever. And Keith was like, I guess he was at the end of the line, so it was time to go back through. And Keith threw a rocket at him. And David just snatched it like crazy reflexes and keith was like wait a minute and so he threw another highball at him david you know fumfered around and dropped it and keith said hold on david and he stood there and he rifled it right in his head area boom snatched it and he's like i'm making you an appointment at the eye doctor and they tested his vision and it turned out i he was i'm bad with this one of the only things i've been blessed with in my life is i have very good vision he was either nearsighted or farsighted. So if the ball was outside of his scope of his head, the depth perception became an issue. But if it was inside the framework of his body, he it was like a all world hands and he got contacts or something. I, I don't know if he had late. it must've been contacts, but, uh, and then it, his whole world changed. And so I don't think as coaches, I tell these stories to highlight the fact that I don't think we talk enough about vision, I think we talk of vision as a like existential thing, like vision as like smart. It's like, Oh, he doesn't have the vision. I mean, was basically code is he ain't smart enough to see it or he's, you know, he, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't widen his vision, but we're talking about the ideas of vision, not the actual physical act of expanding your eye, expanding your focus. And I think, a lot of times it comes down to all the other crap that we think about. Oh, he's not smart enough or he's not this, or he has bad hands. David didn't have bad hands. He had bad eyes. And it took a guy playing soft toss before a practice to figure that out. And, and that to me is, or the story about Wenger, like sometimes it's so, of course your eyes, that's so very important. But I think that we, as coaches you know it goes back to Occam's razor and that's what I love about what you do is it's it's super complicated but it's also complex in the sense that the layers of and the stories that you share with these ideas that you have are very complex and they're and they're rich in detail but but the, I think the the gift that you have is you bring it all back down to something a simple level even a Neanderthal like myself can understand and 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 transfer it to a 16 year old. And I think that sometimes we look for these answers to problems and we search and search and search when the, the fricking it wasn't that David could wasn't coordinated or he he couldn't jump because that was the thing is he could jump, he could catch you, but he couldn't do it all together. Well, it wasn't a lack of athleticism. He was an elite athlete. It was his eyes. Of course he couldn't see it. And so I think that us as coaches, I think Dub's thought process, and this is kind of my soapbox moment for the show, is sometimes take a step back and look at the simple explanations, why something has happened, and and really look at the vision of a player. I think it's important, and I think it's something we don't talk about. How many times have you heard about coaches talk about vision, but they're not, they're they're not really talking about the eyesight part of vision. They're talking about They're not smart enough to see the pullers. They're not, you know, like if you're teaching linebackers. Oh, he zeroed in on the ball carrier. Well, we we think of it as like a brain thing. Like he wasn't smart enough to expand his vision. No, you got to train, literally train their eyes. And not just through simple repetition. I mean, you need to train the eye focus, the eye movement. And like you said, you know, tracking, eye tracking. So that leads me to my next question is you said something about your quarterback and how they were tracking the vision and everything. How did you measure that? Do you have any technology that allows you to see um, their eye movement and eye placement and things like that?
0: No, we're, that would be kind of cool if you did, obviously um, you can't do that. I mean, it it would be really expensive. Um, um, But I think, you know, you can coach the eyes better. And that's one of the things that through the studies um, that we did, that we you know implemented in the book is we looked at other sports. You know, there's a lot more research out there um, in terms of vision and sport and and how the military uses it because uh, there's just a lot more people that play soccer, for example, than American football. There's a lot more people that play badminton. You know, what I mean, so these other sports and and that that go in other countries, they, they've had a lot more years, a lot more people play it, so there's more money and technology invested in that. And it was fascinating to find out, you know, expert vision strategies. Like there's, there's, there's strategies that experts use that can be pulled into the quarterback world. And that's all we spent one third of the book explaining what those are. Um, and I think I, I, I do a much better job now after researching and writing the book on coaching the eyes. And if you think about every decision that's made it comes through what you're seeing and what you're looking at, Right. So, from a quarterback perspective, who's got to make a lot of decisions, you know, and every player has to, but you know, that's mission critical. And what I found was, is I, I through the study and, and, and through the writing, is I wasn't doing a very good job of teaching my quarterback um, how to how to place his eyes properly on di- different concepts, on what to look for specifically, um, and how a lot of my training, for example, a lot of quarterback coaches will will teach defender key. So, like, you know, simple smash concept, hey, we're going to read the, the corner, right? If he drops on the uh, back in the third, we're going to throw the hitch, and if he comes up, we're going to throw the corner over the top, right? Um, or whatever you're teaching. Any kind of Anytime you teach a single defender key, you're putting your quarterback uh, in position to just use his central focus, and he goes blind to everything else inside him. You, you really need to teach him to anchor his vision essentially between the two routes you're trying to process it's called anchoring. That's the expert strategy. And there's, there's several more strategies we talk about in the book, but anchoring, visual anchoring and knowing how to anchor your eyes to allow your peripheral to bring in both defenders um, is it's like cheat code. Uh, and, and it opens your quarterback's world to, to uh, lands to a whole other world. And, and so what I found is, is in my research, I was really kind of pigeonholing my quarterback into not being very effective by how I was teaching him. So I don't don't teach defender key anymore. I teach him how to anchor his eyes between defenders based on the route concept and the stretch that we're calling.
1: What's something else that you were surprised at in coaching quarterbacks in your research for this book that you were doing that was hazardous to the, the detriment to the play of your quarterback.
0: Yeah, I think, um, we, you kind of talked on it with the soccer um, guy you were talking about um, when he was playing on one side of the field versus the other. I think um, it's called ocular dominance. Um, and so most of us are right eye dominant and, and, and there's a few people that are left eye. So you can kind of there's a, a simple test that you can you just do and you can Google it and you can find out if you're right eye or left eye dominant. Well, most quarterbacks that I coach are right eye dominant. So what I what I found was is we're on the left hash and we're throwing like any type of outbreaking cut or any type of field breaking route um, to the right, when a quarterback's dropping back, he would essentially he's undersetting um his hips to the route space. So like let's let's take like a just a, a simple hitch route to the sidelines by the number one receiver, right? So he's dropping back. Well, his right eye picks up the receiver. A lot quicker because it's positioned to the right. So that informs his body, or his mind, that his body is in position to throw that hitch route. So his hips stop before they get all the way rotated around, if that makes sense. So you'll see a lot of quarterbacks, the ball will sail over the hitch, or if they're throwing like a quick out, it will be behind, or like a corner out, it will be behind the receiver. And it's because the the quarterback is undersetting his feet and hips to the route because his eye is telling him, "Hey, you're there." If that makes sense, because he's right eye dominant, right? So you need to really teach your quarterback right mm-hmm. to overset when he's throwing to the right if he's right eye dominant. Try to over correct and try to make sure that your hips are pointed at the route space of that quick out or that hitch and don't don't short that rotation early. So. Conversely, when the quarterback's throwing to the left, if he's right eye dominant, he's going to over rotate to throws to the left. So, like if you're working like a glance route, like you'll say you're on the left hash and you got like an RPO to the field to the right, and you're throwing that X glance, right? And so, as the quarterback, you know, pulls the ball out to throw the glance, his right eye, right, has to to go farther over to pick that receiver up because just instinctually, naturally, that's where that it's if he's right eye dominant that's the eye that wants to focus in on the receiver and so now the ball's going to be behind he's going to overset um, the route and so you have to kind of teach him how to 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 you know to position their hips properly and how to not like you know bring in both eyes and i think that was one just real small thing that as i'm looking at old routes of my quarterback throwing and missing throws um that he was right eye dominant that's something that stood out to me that i'm going to pay more attention to
1: yeah that was that was the thing about Perez as well the example I I showed that not only was his peripheral better he was dominant in in that eye and uh, actually um, tying more into soccer I I started thinking about eye movement eye tracking there's this guy named Neil Guides he teaches like basically people how to play FIFA and you know there's there's lots of YouTubers that show people how to play games and stuff and I enjoy watching it sometimes just to pick tips up. A, I like playing FIFA. That's my, that's my guilty pleasure. But when he's teaching, he wears some sort of glasses or something that tracks his eye movement. And so it's this little clear bubble. So when you're watching him play, he's, you can watch where his eye is looking. And I always thought that was fascinating. If oh, it could somehow translate. Yeah. If you go to um, just YouTube and you type in Neil guides yeah. Um, and in, in pretty much any of his tutorials, he's wearing it's it's and it's not super distracting. It's just a clear kind of bubble. It almost looks like a water bubble that kind of moves around. Mm-hmm. And um so it's not distracting enough where if you're you're like I can't concentrate on the video, but it's and since I've seen that I thought like, man, I wish you know we could do that with our players because I have to do stuff like when I'm when I'm teaching corners, you know, when they got a C2 in the end man. Um, I stand as the tackle, and I'll hold up like one, two, three, or four, five, and they have to say four, 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 so I know they're looking at me because a lot of times you fall into the whole passing league problem where, you know, you don't get your run key. Those linebackers are taking them 15-yard drops playing for the quick kick, you know, so you got to keep them honest early on when you're not, especially in states where there's no pads and you're not defending the run first and foremost, And, and always wanted to track eye movements. I mean, GoPros are great, but your head can be in a position, but that doesn't mean your eyes are looking in that, in that spot. And so maybe that's the next step, Dub you need to develop, but you're smart enough. Think about,
0: think about receivers too. So like if your receiver's right eye dominant, you know, if he's lined up to the left running a curl route, you know, he, he, when he turns in on the curl, his right eye is going to pick it up. And so I've seen this with our guys and actually researching the book. I'm like, okay, this is why he was able to catch better on inside breaking routes when he's lined up to the left side but when that same kid was lined up to the right right he's breaking in but his right eye has to come around and it takes longer so maybe an adaptive strategy would be you know if if that kid is in fact struggles with catching slants digs curls when he's lined up to the right side if in fact he plays both sides um, maybe you need to shorten um, the break from a 12-yard curl to a 10 to give him more time right into the break you know there's some adaptive strategy you can do and and i think there's some teams that have done that um um, i think lsu is one that that did that two years ago with burrow i know they had a a vision specialist on their staff that was doing research and that's one thing they did with their receivers is they test their vision and they had certain receivers if they were running certain routes break them you know two two yards quicker so they could get their 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 dominant eye on the ball faster if that makes sense Mm -hmm.
1: No, that makes perfect sense. And and that's the thing. If, if coaches, you know, if you don't look at this stuff, so, you know, let's say you're doing one-on-ones, for example, and, you know, your kid that's right-eye dominant, he's on the right side for whatever reason that day, and he's running slants and he drops a few. What's the coach going to do? He's going to put him on a juggling machine. Well, that that's not the problem. It's not your hands. You know, very rarely does it have to do with your actual hands. And so... Now you go in a jugs machine catching fade balls or whatever over your shoulder or up here, but you're not fixing the problem. And and really, can you? I mean, that's the next question I have for you is there's, there's a difference between awareness, being aware that something is a problem, but can you fix it? Can you make somebody more eye-dominant? It's just like, can you teach somebody to write with their left hand? Well, if they spend enough time on it, but can you on a football field spend the time to, to, to bring somebody to be more or less eye dominant, I guess you'd say. So you're more even, or is it one of those deals that's better? Like you said, use adaptive strategies.
0: Yeah, I think, I think adaptive strategies is the key. And, and that's what even, you know, schools at the higher level that are tapping into some of this stuff are doing. And there, there's, we're, we all have cognitive or, or genetic limits, you know, visual. I mean, oh, like you boy, said, do
1: I know about genetic yeah. limits? Don't yeah. you need to explain
0: <laughs> that to me? Right. But, but, but I mean, you know, that's the deal we're limited. There's only certain things that we can move the needle on. And so things that we cannot, we have, there's adaptive strategies to work around that. And I think as coaches, it's, it's kind of our job to help direct our players, you know, to those.
1: God, this is, this is so fascinating. What's something else? Let's, let's just kind of open up the book now, kind of just generally speaking what's something else in the book that you find that coaches would find useful to them or just fascinating or a combination of both? Like what's, what's one thing that you're like, you guys, you got to check this out.
0: Well, I, you know, man, there's every chapter is great. I think, you know, we've kind of discussed, you know, the the previous ones. I think another one is, uh, as I look at the, uh, um, the chapters here, I, I think, really the scan strategies from a quarterback perspective um, is critical. And how how do you teach your quarterback um, to process multiple workspaces on a field within the timeline of the play? And I think that's a big mistake I made early on as a coach is I'm, I'm teaching like I'm, I'm start out West coast style, you know, offense. And, you know, it's one, two, three, four, five, you know, here's your progression. One, two, three, four, five. And as you, as you unpack those, those ways, some of those progressions are taught. Um, if you look at the timeline of a play, the average timeline is about three seconds. That's in a perfect world, right? I mean, you're going to have about three seconds of time against zone coverage. Now, when you bring your, you know, haymaker, whatever, all else blitz, you know, obviously we're not going to have three seconds. Okay. But um, in, in a general play three seconds. So that's kind of the base timeline we look at for an intermediate pass play. Well, If I take a a standard three step drop from gun or a five step runner center, my last step of the drop is going to hit at 1.8 seconds. So I have 1.8 seconds to process the most important space on the field. So, what is that? Well, we call it the rhythm space. That's the workspace. That's going to be a route that attacks vertically and it's going to break in around 1.8 seconds. You know, NFL calls it an alert route. Um, You know, there's there's other things like that. But again, um, how do I fit workspaces into a timeline? that operate within that three second window. So, well, this is what Capology is about, space, time, talent. An eye scan, so if I look at point A and then I, my eyes scan across to point B, that's called a saccade, right? And you go blind visually when your eyes go from one point to another point. You visually go blind, right? Now it happens so fast, you don't really see it, but mentally you're, you're, you're blank while your eyes travel from point A to point B. It takes around two tenths to four tenths of a second for that to occur. Well, ironically, that's the same time it takes to hitch up in the pocket. So essentially, your eye scan matches a reset step in the pocket once you hit the top of your drop. So if we hit the top of our drop at 1.8 seconds and take one hitch, we are now at 2.2 seconds. Okay, that, that so we have the time from a scan. So I can scan an area of the field up to 1.8 seconds if that's capped. I'm going to reset my feet. That takes four tenths of a second. And my eyes are going to scan to another point on the field, right? And that's at 2.2. All right. If that space is capped, I'm going to reset again. Now I'm at 2.6 seconds. That's a that's the second scan, right? So I've scanned again. I went blind in between that, and now I'm at 2.6. If that space is capped, all right, now I take another reset step. My timeline is terminated. I'm at three seconds. I'm sacked. So if you watch most quarterbacks drop the ball, very rarely are they going to get more than two reset steps up before they get sacked. Otherwise, you have to release. So we want to operate in that timeline realm. So we teach our quarterbacks to drop back. They're going to look at the rhythm workspace on 1.8. They're going to hitch up, and they're going to look at the read workspace, which is the secondary route at 2.2. And then they're going to hitch up and look for their check down space at 2.6. If they haven't thrown the ball on that second reset step on the rush phase, they're going to release. So that's the R4 nomenclature. That's the brevity code for our timeline. We're always going to look at rhythm space, read space, rush space. Then we're going to release out of the pocket and we're going to extend that timeline now. And that's what you don't like. You don't want that timeline extended. That's that's your worst nightmare, right? So again, that's how we're going to teach our quarterback to to operate within that timeline. So what he's essentially doing is his vision, he's juggling his vision. Each scan is a juggle of the eyes. They're going from one point to another. So we have to teach our quarterback to maintain that rhythm, read, rush, release, work, that 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 workflow, We have to, he has to keep the same rhythm throughout. His eyes have to operate just ahead of his feet. And so we're juggling. So by looking at the science of juggling, we can help teach the quarterback how to operate his vision within that time frame. So like when you juggle, we talked, we just talked about vision, right? When you juggle, can you juggle? Hell no. Okay. All right. So good. All right. So you juggle, right? I I give you one ball. You can, you can throw it up and down and your eyes will track the ball all the way up and down into your hand. Right. Okay. If I put two balls in your hand and you throw them both up and juggle, you're probably going to drop the ball unless you know how, to juggle. And the secret is in keeping your eyes fixed, okay, on what they call the zenith. It's the small curvature of the ball at its highest point. So your eyes have to stay fixed at the top arc of where the ball, where it arcs to come turn over. Your eyes are fixed on that zenith. You're snapshotting that. All right. And you're centrally focusing on on that on that top curvature of the ball, and your peripheral is working across that line. All right. And so as long as I just keep my eyes fixated on that point, my eyes inform my hand where that ball is going to go. So I don't have to look the ball into my hand. This is why you said you don't catch the ball with your hands on the jug. It's not the hands that are the issue. Right. It's the eye placement. You have to teach your players and quarterbacks, receivers how to fixate their eyes properly, at the right space, and right time. So that's how jugglers learn to juggle. Um, You can put a sheet um, in front of you and just keep it where the the top of the ball, like comes when you throw the ball up, you can just see the top curvature, the balls that goes around. And you can, you can actually juggle with on the other side of the sheet without seeing where the ball's going. And it's fascinating. And so juggling allows you to keep the rhythm. And so we're juggling three balls, just like we're juggling three workspaces. And so there's a lot of carryover with, I think, teaching juggling and, the secret of how to essentially focus on a space and use your peripheral pickup where that ball comes in and, and fixate on that. And we, we go into detail of that in the book, but I think um, that's a critical thing. I think a lot of coaches will teach four to five scans on a play and that's not reality. You, you can't scan five spaces across the field in three seconds. It's physically impossible Not well. because it's, what you can't do, you, you can't. A saccade takes two to four tenths of a second, so you can't fit five saccades into a three-second timeline. I mean, you're you you go blind when your eyes move from point A to point B, and so I think what that forced me to do was really refine how I'm coordinating progressions on a field and to make sure that they can functionally have time to process those workspaces in rhythm within that three second window. And I think that's something that could really help coaches out when they read that chapter. I think it's going to help them really look at how they teach progressions closely and give you kind of the non-negotiables your quarterback must have to fit those workspaces into a real time processing uh, uh, ability.
1: So you think that players can be taught to catch. I mean you think that that's something that like wasn't that the thing about maybe it wasn't no dk metcalf his thing was he couldn't he couldn't transition like some of these receivers oh he can't catch i'm like i've always thought unless you have small hands or your hands are not flexible i mean like you have a hard time with gripping or something like that Like, okay yeah hands is an issue but I've always thought yeah, so like, how, how does that, that doesn't make any sense. Nobody's hands are necessarily bad.
0: No, I, I think it, eyes can be improved. I mean, obviously you can get, um, you know, corrective lenses, you know, there's, there's things, your eyes, are a muscle, you, you, you need to work the scanning of your eyes and the tracking. They're a muscle. They have to be worked and repped. There's exercises you can do to sh- strengthen that. Um, jugs is great, but are, are, make sure you're, you're, Working your eyes on tracking that ball in your hands. You know most of the deep balls are dropped because the receiver doesn't get his hands in position to track the ball into the hands. They their hands are lower, so the last twelve inches of the catch they have to perform a saccade with their eyes from the ball to their hands, and they go blind and they lose it. You have to you have to learn to high point you know high point the ball, or when you're working the over shoulder catch. Get your hands up where your eyes, your peripheral vision can feel the hands and you can keep your central focus tracking that ball into it. Um, a lot of receivers have their hands too low and they lose that track at the last you know, 12 inches of, of the catch.
1: Okay, getting away from the book in particular, I have a lot of young listeners that are new to coaching. They want to get into coaching. They know a lot about quarterbacks. Maybe they played quarterback they're in a situation like me where and you know, a rich thought I was a decent enough football coach and was smart enough to figure it out and be trained for young guys that want to and I'm not talking about career advice like try to get a job per se but for guys that want to coach quarterbacks that just have a passion for this but they don't have a mentor that they can lean on or they don't have you know, somebody going to bat for them or a family member that's in a coaching, you know, somebody like me who I love the game, but I didn't really have a connection or know where to start. For guys that want to learn the quarterback position, what would be your steps just to get started to, you know, be able to coach or get into that? And and again, I'm I'm speaking from a sense of, I'm speaking from the position of, the actual what to learn and not so much like network and, you know, have a great resume. Like, I mean the actual, like how, what, what do I need to do to learn and to be able to actually teach?
0: Yeah. So, so the, the actual, the fundamentals, is that what you're saying? That they need yeah.
1: To- like what, what I, Hey, I love, I love quarterbacks. You know, I, I talk to guys that this is a common theme for me is guys will reach out that they're, they're passionate about the game. Maybe they played, And they, you know, they love to do the scouting stuff. Like they'll, they'll scout for the draft. And they say, you know, I love, I love football and I love evaluating and watching tape. And I, I think I'd be a good teacher and I like working with young people and I want to get into, I want to learn the quarterback position enough, well enough to teach, you know, maybe I played quarterback at a, at a, at a lower level, but didn't necessarily have the greatest coach, you know, where can I learn and how can I start the process of Learning enough, and and not so much just learning, but being able to learn how to coach. What would you suggest a path? And well, if it's think, just buy the R four book and get all the Dub Maddox books, and that's the answer, <laughs> then give me the. I mean, if that's the truth, that's the truth.
0: But, well, I think I think you know I think it's it it's it's a little bit of 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 both. I think it's you know obviously that's why we created R four. That you know it's it's what it, it's what I wish I had when I first started coaching. You know, where's a one stop shop I can go. Um, to learn how to coach football like it through an expert lens and so that's why you know we spent the last 15 years building it and and, and and everything online so i mean you can you can go to that would love to help mentor guys and and and, and, and unpack all the stuff that we've learned over those 15 years um, i think it's also important though to have a, a personal relationship with, with with the guy that that knows what he's doing um, and i think it's like you said it's really finding a coach that can teach you how to coach i don't think there's enough people out there. There's not enough resources to, how do you coach? I mean, that's, there's a science to coaching just, it doesn't matter what you're coaching. Right. And, and I think I was fortunate enough, um, to be hired out of, out of, out of college by, uh, Rick Jones, who is a, a, a national hall of fame, uh, high school football coach won I mean, over 10 state championships, um, just retired from, um, Greenwood high school in Arkansas and is now, um, Coach Eli Drinkowitz is right hand man at, at Missouri. Um, he he's a senior assistant there. So he's he's actually in the SEC now. And he his first thing, you know, my first year, and he was hard on me. I mean, he would teach you how to run a drill, how to how to, you know, talk to kids, how, how I mean, how to do all those little things. And and he was hard. And, and I think I was very fortunate um, to be mentored by guys like him, Darren Slack. You know, being in the camp circuit and watching Darren and seeing how um, he builds a, a common language in the system is it helped me grow as a coach. I think um, getting on, on it, you know, working camps, working things and just learning from guys. I, I think that's the key is finding expert coaches and men. And, and you know, when you get to, you know, your, your late 40s, your early 50s it, it, and, you know, a lot of coaches are ready to give back and ready to unpack that. And I think there's a lot of guys out there that are eager to help these younger generation and just finding that and being humble enough to to be willing to learn. You know, a lot of guys, I think they, you get on YouTube and watch some videos and you think you're an expert ready to roll. And there's a lot of experience that, that you miss out upon that you can learn from these older mentors that I think is, is very, uh, would be very helpful to these young guys.
1: And you're right. There, I feel, I feel that with coaching, there's a fine line between, books on how to coach. And then you get into the culture stuff and that, you know, that's all important and everything has its place, but how do you learn how to coach? How do you learn how to communicate to a player? But I think it's hard to, to teach somebody that because teaching football, especially like in my world, coverages is easy in the sense that, and we talked about this earlier. You know, if you're teaching man match coverages, the receiver can only do four things. There's twenty-two people in the field, fifty-three and a third wide, hundred and twenty yards long. You know, um there's parameters in place that give you limits the numbers of variables. You know, and, and when you're coaching, there's I mean, how many different personalities uh You should, you should do C4 and rebranded to coaching, (laughs) but you know, like, you know, you have the kid that's a type A who's introverted and more, all you got to do is shoot him a look. You have the kid that has a death wish. That's like the crazy kid that does like dirt biking and and stuff and yelling at him doesn't get his attention, you know, like me, like yelling at me when I was a kid was, was like pissing in the wind. Yeah. You were gonna it wasn't gonna work and you were just gonna leave pissed off. <laughs> no I did not mean that pun, damn it. But um, you know, and I think that there's so many variables, there's so many different types of kids and socioeconomic backgrounds. It's hard to pinpoint, but I really think there's a shortage of non cheesy bullshit for coaching. I mean, so much of it starts to get into motivational phrases and stuff, and you know, that stuff is important, but it has its time and its place. You're not gonna teach somebody how to you know, coach by, by giving them a book, like chicken soup for the soul or whatever the hell it was called. You know what I mean? Like we need real world applicable things. And, and, and and to me it's, and I've said this a million times, but you know, coaching football is, is like, you know, it's like going to law school in the sense that, you know, when you go to law school, you learn the history of cases for two reasons. One, learning the laws and like how to think, you know, and two it's examples because you're never going to have the same exact case. Cause if it is, if it's precedent, Oh, we were, you know, we defer to the precedent. It's over, but you're going to have a unique situation. And so how do you learn is you learn as many cases as you can. You learn how the people think you learn how they got to where, you know, that conclusion and and the, the, the pluses and minuses to the arguments and whatever. And I think football is a lot like that. Like, when I watched a uh, college film, like when I used to study TCU film a lot, I, I wasn't going to go play Oklahoma, but I learned why they did things versus certain teams, you know, and, and I learned how to think, not what to think, but how to think, how to process, how to evaluate. And I think if somebody smart enough to could create a coaching course by doing a law school approach, you know, putting it into different types of, uh, of you know uh, scenarios like okay playing time okay getting you know building team cohesion you know because i did a lot of this stuff before with sports psych but it was all about like the group dynamics it wasn't how to coach but how to take like break down what is coaching you know and i'm, I'm being selfish so i'm say football break down what do you need to coach football how do you need to coach and then assemble just like a bunch of cases quote unquote And a bunch of situations and how to deal with it without being cheesy. And like those stupid classes we have to take to get into coaching. Like the the NFHS like competent coaching course. Which is like Billy's smoking a joint and drinking a 40. You A, join him. B, turn him into the cops. C, do nothing. It's like come on man. You know what I mean? Like that's one of those like cartoons and shit. Like something good. Something real. You know? And I think. There's a real shortage of that, or I'm not looking in the right place, which God knows that may be the case, but anyway, well, Dub, before I keep you here all night, I want to give you the opportunity to let the listeners know how they can get your book. I know it's in the pre-order phase, but, but, you know, plug all your stuff. Where can I get this book? How do I get a special personalized signed copy? Um... (laughs) <laughs> are you going to do an audio book? You know what? What? What do we got here? What's What's all the? Yeah, uh, yeah. How do I do, do all this?
0: Yeah. So, um, books are books that we they're on they're on uh, pre sale right now. We should have them out in the next uh, two and a half weeks. Uh, so hopefully after Memorial Day, um, we're gonna have a uh, a initial short order run, and and those will be available to the first buyer. So so if you get on it quick, you'll be able to get in the first run of books. Uh, you can go to r 4 footballsystemcom dot That's a website. You click on products, you'll see that there. Um, and so that's the, the best way, probably the only way you're going to be able to get it, um, until, uh, five weeks from now when it's, when, when the bulk order, gets on, on Amazon, but I would prefer you buy on my site. We don't need to, to refuel Bezos's uh, uh, yacht, right? Um, so, so I prefer you buy it on my site. If you could, that would be very helpful. Do it. Uh, free, sh- free shipping there if you buy it on my site. So, um, again, you can uh, reach out to me on Twitter at coach Dub Maddox. Uh, I, I like to interact with people there and watch bass, uh, uh, rant and rave. And he, he's, he's my entertainment most days. Um, but, he, but, he, <laughs> but again, uh, I, I just, I, I think there's a lot of uh, nuggets in there, um, different things that coaches can pick up. You may, you may not speak to, to everyone. Um, but I think even if you're a defensive guy or another position, there's some things that you can take away and, and apply. Um, so it's good for, for coaches of any position, scouts um, could get stuff out of it if you're a scout and obviously players. So again, uh, looking forward, hope, hope guys get something out of it. I, I worked a, a long time on it and, and I, I feel like there's some good stuff in there.
1: Well, I'm fascinated. Um, for the listeners, I, you know, during the pre-interview, normally I'll write up a bunch of questions or stuff, but with dub, there's so many ways that this can go. And And I did mention earlier that, you know, I wanted to give you a chance to promote whatever you, you know, your next thing, because I knew you were willing to come on whenever, but I was like, well, why don't we just wait till you have, I can help you out, get the word out. Um, So I was like, all right, well, let's talk, you know, what about this, this, you know, we'll talk about the book and, you know, cause I'm, you know, I wanted to become an infomercial, but so we started talking about the book and I'm like, oh my God, this like scratch that we're going to just talk about the book. Cause it's, it's, it's so fascinating. And this is coming from somebody that's not coaching quarterbacks. It's trying to, put them on their backs. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a very, very cool. And I just, and again, I, I know this is like the dub loving, but how you think, how you approach things, it's so different and refreshing. And you, you really inspire a lot of people, man. I don't, I don't know if you know that or not. You, you, you challenge people's frameworks that they have and the world that they, that they live in and you do it in a way that's non-confrontational and is it and you pique the curiosity of the listener or the viewer depending on what medium you're consuming your information you know you you challenge people without challenging them in the sense that you'll say well i discovered this and and i think the other thing that's powerful about what you do is you share your story so it's not preachy it's not like coaches like me where i'd be like you're doing this wrong you're you're <laughs> screwed up you know do it this way much more subtle and say, you know, I was in this situation and this is what happened to me. And before you know it, you're, you're sitting there and you're either reading, listening, viewing, whatever the medium is. And you're, and you're sitting there going and you're questioning what you do without you even bringing it up. And, and I love that you challenge the conventions. You're one of the truly unique people in this game at our level that is speaking to us You know, most of the smartest people in this game, they don't talk much because they have a competitive reason to not talk or whatever. And so, I mean, I I think we're all blessed to have you in this space and and fueling us with ideas and and your passion. And I don't know, man, I just, I, I really appreciate what you do. And I think I underestimated it for a while. I think, not underestimated it, but like I took it for granted like oh yeah, Dubs awesome, you know. But but I really stopped and thought about like what you're doing, especially your late this latest project where you're going on. Yeah, it's a it's a language system, and yes, it's used to train quarterbacks and and communicate with coaches and things. But I think it goes far beyond that. And I think that if you don't realize that as a consumer, I think you're missing the point. I think that you can take a lot of what he does and apply it to a lot of things in in life. But you know, that's my thoughts on it.
0: Well, I, I appreciate that, man. But a um all egos goes aside, I just, uh, I'm grateful to be a part of this community. And, and I'm just, I really see myself as like everybody else where, I mean, there's so much more to learn um, I'm just trying to find better ways to coach it. And I just love I, you learn through failure and, and everything that, that I've been fortunate enough to create has been through failures and and I've had some great mentors. So I'm every, I'm a product of some some men that are far better than me and I've just been blessed to be, be under a lot of those guys. And, and grateful to have met you, heck, 15 years ago, man. Uh, and uh, and you're doing some great things with this stuff. And and really on the defensive side, you you've helped me uh, just understand that whole world is like, I mean, it was like, like a, like Mandarin Chinese to me, uh, trying to understand, you know, how you guys call everything. But it, your your stuff has helped me out tremendously. So thank you, and glad you have me on here. And and anybody else that's listening, man, I just keep keep fighting the fight. Um, this is the greatest profession. And, and uh, it's a lot of fun and, and life's too short to bicker with each other. And, 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 uh, you know, let's, let's help each other out and let's, let's help young men and, and let's have fun. Um, so that's all, all I got, Bass. I appreciate you having me on, man. Before
1: I let you go, I got to run you through the question that I ask every first guest when I have them on okay. the scenario, the championship question. Okay. Here's the scenario. Tell me what you would do. State championship. Fourth and nine. Are you scribbling? I see you scribbling, Are you scribbling notes down, <laughs> keeping it no, straight. No. Oh, I thought you were like no. All right, so here's the situation. Fourth and nine, thirty-five yard line going in. You got one timeout, eleven seconds. You're down by two. You just gotta get the first. Your your field goal kicker's nails. Okay. I gotta uh, get two yards. It's a, a nine. Nine? You're you're down by two points, but you gotta get okay. nine yards. You're basically gotcha. trying to get it inside of the twenty-six. You kick the field goal. Uh, your kicker's that good. Um, Like I said, 11 seconds, and, you know, you're not going to try. And why I say about the kicker is I don't want, like, a Hail Mary or anything like that. You don't need any crazy, you know, down the field. I mean, if you want to. Like, last week, low was, like, four verts. I was like, okay, fantastic. What With that scenario, all things being equal, you don't have a particular stud um, on your team. It's a pretty equal matchup. And we'll say the other team is going to play some sort of too high coverage. Maybe a two-man or a cover two variation. I'll even give you a little bit more specificity. What are you thinking there? Mesh. You son of a bitch. You got me. I was
0: waiting for a serious answer.
1: Mesh. Which Mesh? Uh,
0: Well, there's a couple variations I'd probably go with. <laughs> famous good old railroad concept or maybe it's ohio state calls it railroad i don't know all
1: right now give me a real answer
0: uh you said two or two man
1: yeah some sort of two high and i play quarter and if it's like quarters on fourth and nine a true quarters. i mean there may be some sort of man match quarters but they're trying to get six on four deep
0: well it all comes down to personnel what do i have
1: <laughs> you said it's all equal i mean for the most part you don't have anybody that's like a stud that where you're like I gotta get this guy the ball, so you're more All right. attacking I'm the going scheme.
0: Jason wins freaking empty Y option play. That's what we're running. Beautiful, beautiful. I love, I love, I love that play. Love wit, love tight ends, man. Love tight ends. Can't have enough of them.
1: Yeah, I heard there's a future for those tight ends in football. I'm
0: telling you what, there's a lot of basketball players out there that we could go to some big time schools if they come out and learn tight end. Yeah, that
1: Travis Kelsey has a real future, I think. somewhere. Oh,
0: man. Dub, what's oh. your Twitter handle again? Yeah, that's uh, at, at Coach Dub Maddox.
1: Hit him up. Tell him how much you love them on the show and how much you love him in general. Dub, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you, and I'm looking forward to reading the book.
0: Yeah, I'll be seeing you one as soon as I get him, brother. Thanks. Beautiful.
1: And it's V-A-S-S-E-U-R. Just want to remind Got you it. of that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, brother.
0: All right, we'll see you, man.
1: Thanks to Dub for coming on. It's been a long time in the making. And of course, as always, he delivers. I'm excited actually to have him back on next year already and see what he does in 2022 because this Capology book is going to be a huge success. Follow me on Twitter at CoachVast, the show's account at Run Option, as well as the Make Defense Great Again account at MDGA Podcast. The website is www.CoachVast.com, Patreon, Patreon.com slash CoachVast. Make sure you check out the CoachTube course of the week. If you can't remember all these links, just remember one, linktree.com slash CoachVass. It's got all my stuff. It's got everything related to all the shows, everything you want to check out in one place. Just remember that. Again, that's linktree.com slash CoachVass. And once again, whether you're throwing four verts or three yards in a cloud of dust, we're going to try to bring you the best coaches out there. And we hope you're enjoying the podcast